Provost, and then brought uh, Bruce uh, with him a, a little bit later. And so we have been blessed to have them. Some of you uh, know Bruce and have met him or uh, participated in the Sunday school class that he led uh, several weeks ago. Uh, but we also realize that others of you do not know Bruce, so I thought I would give at least a, a brief introduction. Uh, Bruce is a former pastor of an independent church or non-denominational church. Uh, then he was also a college professor. And both of those things may be coming uh, together here in the near future because uh, Bruce is a candidate for, and my inside sources tell me that he's the top candidate for, uh, a college that is being planted by Mission to the World in Japan, which brings some of Bruce's passions from his own life that will probably be shared, uh, as well as the gifts and the skills that have come to, uh, to bear uh, in the past. And so since Bruce uh, is gifted, and is called and is here, I thought maybe we should take advantage of that while we could, uh, because it's gonna be much more expensive to get him here if he lives in Japan. Um, and so, but I wanted the congregation to know him, uh, both if he stays, which would be our blessing, or whether we send him out, which will be our privilege uh, to be a blessing to the people of Japan. So Bruce, if you'll come and share the word this morning. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to see everybody's happy, smiling faces this morning. Um, Jeff, am I on? Sounds like I'm on. Okay. So, and there we go. Um, forgive the, the PowerPoints. As you can tell, I've taught a lot as a teacher rather than a preacher. Uh, so, um, you're, some of you are probably thinking, I really wanted a sermon this morning. And, uh, well, you're going to get a sermon with pictures. <laughs> so how about that? So why don't we open up in a word of prayer that God would guide me through this whole process. So, Father, we come before your holy name, and we ask that you would be honored and glorified through all this. We pray, Father, that we can see your hand of love at the very beginning of creation and how it applies to us today, even though that, w that took place thousands of years ago. So God, we praise you and we give you all honor and glory in Jesus' holy name, amen. So if you, Jeff, would move on to the next slide. And I do have a controller here that I have to test. So why don't I come down here and test it? There we go. So I'm going to come down here and I'm going to pretend this is a college class. How about that? So I have a number of college or graduate students that I deal with right now. And uh, some of them are scared of the way I teach because I'm so nitpicky when it comes to papers. Uh, and, but then they get it at the very end. And hopefully you'll get all of this at the very end. <laughs> so Proverbs 25, 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. And I always thought that fascinating. Why would God want to conceal but then there is this thing inside people that's called curiosity. And I am incredibly curious. Um, and that, I think, is something that God has birthed inside me because my wife, Marilyn, who is right over here, she saw how I used to be like. Uh, we met at a Bible study years ago in 1979. And... Um, 
And that was during a time where I was being discipled in the Lord, and I was young in the Navy. Um, I was the youngest person on board my ship for a while, and it was there that I, they found out I was functionally illiterate. I had only graduated from the eighth grade. And uh, that's a long story in itself, but my wife was there through the whole thing. She saw everything. She saw the struggles that I went through during the early years. And so God created something inside me to be extremely curious because my mother always thought I would be another Jethro Bodine, if you remember the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> so anyway, it was my ringing endorsement from my mother years ago. But uh, just this week, I read this uh, passage from this one book that I've been reading called Leading People, Changing from the Inside Out. Uh, it was one of the best books I've ever read in leadership, and I found it at the Williamsburg Library on their book, book sales for a dollar. And I picked it up, I started looking at it, and I thought, this looks like an interesting book. And I came to this page here where Don Soderquist said, I have come to believe that wisdom is not understanding the complexities of the universe. Wisdom is understanding the simple things, the interpersonal relationship things, and, not, and, and practicing them, not just reading them, not just agreeing with them, but practicing them. See, people are incredibly important, and if we want to engage people, we can't do that from being aloof. We have to really engage them. We have to honor them. So I learned a long time ago through the person that discipled me years ago is that there are two things that really matter to God, the word of God and the souls of men. And I thought to myself, that's the best investment right there. If I want to invest something in my life, that's what it needs to be, the word of God and the souls of men. And so I've kept that as my wife will uh, say that that has been a pursuit that I've always had. So. With that, well, let's see if this works. Let me try this now. Okay. It's off. You're right, Jeff. There it goes. Let me go back. Okay. This is the USS Murrow. It was a Spruance-class destroyer where I spent two and a half years of my life on. Um, and the reason why I have this picture here is um, I wanted to show you my ship to where it was nothing but ocean all around it. And there was this one day I was up on the forward lookout right here. I was standing forward lookout for about four hours. That was one of my duty stations at the time. And um, I had led a lot of Bible studies uh, as, uh, while I was on that ship. Uh, as difficult it was for me to read at the time, I would always practice before the study started. I would practice reading it and speaking it out loud. And it took me a while to, to do this. But um, with, that, with that said, there was one day I was on Ford Lookout, and one person came up to me and said, man, that's a lot of water. Yeah. <laughs> but it was an opening. I said, yeah, it is a lot of water. And that's only the surface. And, the word of, and there's so much more underneath that surface. And then I said, and the word of God is just like that. We read the surface stuff, 
But there's so much more underneath that than just the surface. And that's what I'm hoping that you're going to see today. To, to go a little bit be below the surface, to see if we can see something that we never experienced before. At least that's my hope anyway. So, Jeff, moving on to the next slide. Okay, the scripture begins with, Be Rashi Elohim bara. In the beginning, God created. So, Be Rashi means the beginning of time that we understand and know. Not God's time, but man's time. In the beginning. And then, Be Rashi Elohim is the first time we see the word for God. Now, this is a unique word in itself. And the reason why that is is because it is both singular and plural in meaning. Singular and plural. And it's the only word for God that I know of that has the plurality. And we see that later on in verse 26. Let us make man in our image. Us. The Godhead itself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But it's also impersonal. It's not personal at all like what you would find with Yahweh. Elohim is impersonal. And the word El there, you see more than any other word for God. El. It's mentioned over 200 times in the, the book of Genesis alone. El. So, it's impersonal. And then, Vi Elohim bara. It's the word for creation. When you see this word in the scriptures, it is only in reference to God alone. Where if you jump down to verse, or chapter 2, verse 7, you're going to see another word. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, both male and female. And that word creation there is asa. Asa. Now we have two different words here for creation now. Bara and asa. Asa suggests that God took something material, substance and shaped it, formed it, and that's how he made man. That is also used for people that create things. So it's shared between God and man, in a sense. But bara, that's strictly God, and God alone. So God speaks the word, speaks, and it's created. It's formed. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and divided the light, God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. So, Jeff, if you move on to the next slide. We see here that um, this is my old professor, by the way. This is uh, Dr. J. Rodman Williams. Um, I studied a great deal of many different disciplines, and he was by far the best professor I ever studied under. He was a Reformed theologian, um, and uh, that's the person that exposed me to Reformed theology. He wrote his own textbooks, and he was one of the top theologians of the 20th century. He was an incredible man. But the thing that stood out to him, for me anyway, is he loved God and he loved his students. And he said this, the Hebrew word for create, bara, as in Genesis 1.1, is a word that is never used in scripture with anyone other than God as the subject. 
And it refers to essentially the creation of out of nothing. That is, absolute origination. So we're looking at, in the Latin it was called creatio ex nihilo. God creating things out of nothing. Just spoken into existence. Now can you imagine the power behind that? To me, that's incredible. That story there alone is better than the Big Bang Theory, in my opinion. So he actually spoke it into existence. So Jeff, if you turn it to the next slide. Now, I want you to look at these three components here. As we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 3, it says he created light. So Jeff, move on, on to the next slide. I want you to see these Hebrew words here. Shaman is the word for heavens. Eretz is the word for earth. And Or is the word for light. So now let's put it in its technical terms. Heavens is space, earth is matter, light is energy. And what are those the components of? The atom. In the first three verses of scripture, first three, we see the building blocks of the universe that we know it. Heaven, earth, light, space, matter, energy. What I thought was interesting is, um, is Carl Sagan, who was an astronomer who's been gone for some time, um, he wanted to, he had a direct influence on the Voyager uh, 1 and 2 projects. And um, they were launched roughly around 1978, 77, 1978, something like that. Voyager 2 was launched first, actually, and then Voyager 1 later on. Voyager 1 is farther away from the Earth than Voyager 2. But um, he looked at, um, they were, Voyager 1 was at the edge of the galaxy in 1990, and they didn't know what was going to happen after it crossed over beyond our galaxy. They thought that there would be, something might happen to it, it might not work anymore, because it, it, it would punch out of that, that magnetic field. And so what he asked NASA to do is turn the cameras around and let them take one more shot at the Earth before it entered into or outside of our galaxy. And so on February 14, 1990, it turned around and took a shot, and that little pixel there is uh, Earth at the edge of the universe. Every single human being that's lived on this planet is from that place. Every single one of us. That's our home. And what I find a little distressing is we're looking for other places that we can inhabit when we really need to just take care of the place we live now we just learn to take care of our home now, the way God intended us to, then maybe this planet will last a lot longer than us trying to find a different place before we screw everything up. At least that's my, that's my way of thinking. So anyway, next slide. So let's go on to the second day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let the, let the waters divide, let the firmament divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament 
from the waters which were above the firmament. And God called the firmament heaven. And so the evening and the morning were the second day. So what God made was this, the oceans and this water canopy around the ocean, or above the ocean. And the firmament was in between that we call sky. So next slide. So then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto, the place, unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and, and gathered together the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herbs that yield seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And then the earth brought forth grass, the herb the, that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. And the thing that I want you to see in this particular slide here is that it's reproducing from itself. The seed of itself, it's in itself. It's of its own kind. It reproduces of its own kind. Then go on to the next slide. Then God said, let the lights be in the firmament of the heavens and divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God sent them in, in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the night from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Wasn't there light on the second day and on the first day and on the third day? And now God is saying that Here's a, a greater light and a lesser light. A light to rule the night, night and a light to rule the day. Which indicates that the original light was from God himself. Instead of the physical sun that we have, God was that actual light in the first, second, and third day. So, move on to the next slide. So now we're in the fifth day. Then God said, and I'm in verse 20 now, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and everything living, living thing that moves with which the waters abound according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And the important thing here again is, let them reproduce after their own kind. You're going to see this repeating itself. Its own kind, its own kind, its own kind. The sixth day now, 
Let's go on to the sixth day. Then God said, let us bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. So the beasts of the field are commanded to do the same thing, recreate themselves after their own kind. But notice the language here next. Then God, or, and God made the beasts of the field, I'm sorry. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God gave to them or God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb, everything that yields seed which is on the, on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. I'll stop there. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now there's a couple words I want you to see here in Hebrew. If you turn to the next slide, I think it's on the next slide. Oh, you're there. Or you can back up if you want to see that. See uh, uh, Michelangelo's work in the Sistine Chapel. Um, I actually, I originally created this for the people in Japan and they, um, uh, wanted uh, Adam to be all covered up. So I obliged with them and I thought it was kind of nice so I, I left it at that. So I was kind of cautious at first to use this slide because I know how kind of classic uh, Presbyterians could be. And uh, this has no, um, this isn't even close to what God really looks like. Uh, one day uh, I look forward to seeing him in all his glory. Of course, I won't be alive on this earth at that time. Um, but um, my, one of my favorite verses in scripture is Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And so Adam was able to do that. He was able to see God. Now Adam was a fully grown man when God created him and he lived over 900 years. Can you imagine that? Over 900 years he lived. And then you have to ask the question, well, Really? I mean, we're lucky if we live 100 years. He lived over 900 years as a fully grown man. You see, the Hebrew records state in the first 10 generations, except for Enoch, that they were living great amounts of time. 800 years, 900 years. But the Hebrew text is not the only place where you find long life. In the Sumerian text as well, you find uh, kings of summer living extended periods of time and reigning for countless amount of years. They used measurement by SARS. They called them SARS, and each SAR was roughly around 360 years. And so you had some kings in summer listed as li or reigning, reigning now, reigning, not living, reigning for five SARS, three SARS, ten SARS. There was one king that lived for 12 SARS. Now, 
I don't think it's realistic for somebody to reign for 20,000 years, let's put it that way. But the point is, is that there were other documents that revealed that people live long lives besides just the Hebrew text. That's the point. And even the first emperor of China, which is more mythical than anything else, the Yellow Emperor, he lived for 500 years, reigned for 500 years, the Yellow Emperor. So the Hebrew text is not the only place where you find longevity. Now, with that, let us make man in our image. That Hebrew word there is named salam. And it means let him reflect. Let him be the mere reflection. Now, when you get to the second Adam that you find in the New Testament, Christ, Philip asked Jesus one day, show us the Father. And Christ revealed, now again, the second Adam, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Christ being that reflection. So now you have to ask, how was Adam able to do that? His primary job was to reflect God's image. Can you imagine that? That's your job. More so than being a gardener, to reflect his image. Man, that must mean something. Because everywhere he walked, everywhere he went, the whole animal kingdom saw not just a human being, but they saw God's reflection in him. In him. So you have to ask, what was his power pack? Was he perfect? I don't think so. And you think, what? He wasn't perfect. Well, if Adam wasn't perfect, then what was he? He was innocent. He was free from any defilement at all. Now, in the morning times, one of the first things that you do is you stand before a mirror, and you brush your teeth, you wash your face, shave. Ladies, you put on your makeup. And after a while, that mirror gets a little distorted and dirty. So if you go for a while without washing the mirror, then there's these little splotches of toothpaste and makeup and stuff like that. We've all done it. We've all experienced it. And then you take Windex to it eventually, and you wipe it all down, and then you go, wow, that looks a whole lot better because it's clean. It's easy to reflect at that point. That's how Adam was. He was easily reflecting the Spirit of God. Spirit of God shines, bam, it's reflected to the animal kingdom. They see it all. He is literally God's vice regent on earth. So, he is to reflect his image, and then it says that he is in his likeness, which is the Hebrew word damuth. Damuth. And it means God's character. He takes on the character of Christ. Can you turn, Jeff, to the next slide? Um, move on to the next slide. And there we go. Mute. He takes on God's character. Now, Rod Williams, he says this, both man and animal have the breath of life, but only man has his breath infused directly from the inbreathing of God. This means, for one thing, that man is created by God in a unique and intimate relationship to him. Thus, the breath that God breathes into man's nostrils is more than physical breath, though it is that too. It is also the spiritual breath because God is spirit. The word breath and spirit are interchangeable terms 
in this particular passage here. God breathes. This is special now. Now, we are created in the image of God. We weren't supposed to recreate after our own kind because the language doesn't suggest that. We are to be recreate, to recreate ourselves in God's image. Now, obviously, we've lost some of that uh, due to the fall of Adam. And I always thought, and I've said this to my wife a couple times too, I said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go up to Adam and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind <laughs> for ruining everything. And then I, then I take a step back and I say, Bruce, not only is he going to be changed, so are you. So I even bother with the question. Just say, hey, Adam, how you doing? <laughs> hey, Adam, how you doing? So, so anyway, so he is to have dominion. Dominion. Loving, caring leader. Not this dominant force that we see today. He's not going to be, he wasn't an authoritarian leader. He wasn't a transactional leader. He wasn't, um, he wasn't that kind of a leader in a sense. He was a loving human being that would reflect God's image. Incredible. Incredible. Uh, Jeff, move on. So, on the seventh day, God looked at everything that he did and he rested on that seventh day. So, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from his work, which God had created and made. And you think, when you look at that passage there, you have to ask one question. Does God really need to rest? I mean, did he really exert himself? I mean, if I was trying to create the universe, that would be a major task. I mean, even a star. If I try to form a star, I'd burn my hands up. I'd burn myself up. I'd probably be a raven lunatic about, about that time anyway, because I'm not God. And thank God I'm not God. You need to thank God that I'm not God. <laughs> and then you need to look in the mirror and say that to yourself as well. I'm not God. So you laugh at me, go ahead and look in the mirror. <laughs> You're not God either. So, but, but God rested on the seventh day. So why would he rest if all he had to do was just speak it out? Probably because he was modeling something for us. Because even though God doesn't need rest, we need rest. There was one time in 1988, I was doing a missionary tour in the Philippines. I, I was in between schools in the United States, and I flew back to Okinawa, the church I helped, helped start years ago. And then uh, the team and I went to the Philippines for a week. And we were, I was driving up to the mountains, um, somewhere between uh, Quezon City and Manila, someplace in there. 
And, um, and I was in this jeepney. And jeepneys, if you've never ridden in a jeepney before, wow. I mean, there's these lines on the road. Nobody obeys them. They're zipping around all the time. There's no seatbelts in the back. It's like an old school bus with uh, the back end of it ripped out. And you're exposed to all the elements there. But it's actually kind of fun at the same time. And in that process, um, they told me that they wanted me to preach at this church. And it was going to be around 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. And I looked at her and I said, 5 or 6 in the morning? I don't even think God is awake at that time. <laughs> and she looked at me really serious and said, God never sleeps or slumbers. And I went, all right, you're right, you're right, you're right. So God, need, God doesn't need rest. But I think that he's modeling it for us. Because once you see, once you get into the third chapter of Genesis, you see the, the first time of the fight or flight response. After the fall of man, first thing they're doing is running and then hiding. Fight and then freeze. Flight and freeze. And then when God's questioning them, where are you? Like he already didn't know. Where are you, Adam? And then Adam starts trying to justify himself. That's fight. So here we have the first time, fight or flight, stress. Our bodies need rest. And God already knew that. Even in, even in an innocent world where there was no sin at all, he's encouraging us to rest. So, anyway. So, moving on to the next slide. Now, this is George W. Bush. I need some volunteers. Here's the volunteers that I need. I need couples with young children. Those who fit that description, could you raise your hands? You're the first couple I saw. So I want to thank you for volunteering, first of all. OK? OK. Could you, tell, could you stand up? Would you mind standing up? This is a classroom. OK? Tell, could you tell me your names? David and Amy, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, David, um, you're working someplace. Um, where do you work at? Okay, you're, you're at the shipyard. Good. So you're working with the military, in a sense. You're working with the military. George W. is one of the most committed Christians we've ever had in the White House. I mean, there is very few presidents that I could say that with. Now, I've studied every single president we've had except our current one right now. And I'm waiting for a, a presidential historian to write a story before I actually start reading that. But I got, I have so many presidential biographies in my library alone. And it took me 20 years to be able to say I've studied every single one of them. So George Bush is one of those few that he is seriously committed to Christ. And uh, now I don't know what your affiliation is with presidents or whatever, so I thought, you know, based on that example there, I'm going to use George W. for this example. Now, David, you're working at the shipyard. George W., former president of the United States, decides to pay that shipyard a visit. And he comes, and, um, and, you, and he walks up to you, shakes your hand, and you get into this wonderful conversation without even thinking, 
and you find that you have a lot of things in common. And one of those is the Lord Jesus Christ. You're both committed Christians. And so you started talking like this, and then all of a sudden, David, you lose your mind. And when I say that is not that you think you lost your mind, but your wife does. Okay? And this, and this is the thing that, that's, that gets lost, is you get so excited about the conversation that you flippantly ask him, uh, Mr. President, you know, I really feel close to you. Would you and Laura, because Laura's standing right next to him, would you and Laura be willing, or would you like to come and have dinner with me and my family? Without even thinking, without even asking your wife. And to your total shock, and you're just trying to be nice. Part of it's just trying to be nice. So you're, you, you ask him that question, and through your shockness, he says, yeah, I'd love to. When would you like us there? And so you realize that he accepted it for today. It's around 11.30 in the morning. And he asks you, when's dinner time? Oh, roughly 5, five o'clock. And he said, yeah, I'd love to. So you give, him your, you give him his address. And Laura's really happy about that, too, because they're going to see somebody who works directly with the military. And you know, looking at these pictures, how fond he is of the US military. So anyway, so you call your wife now. Uh, Amy, you said, right? Hey, Amy, I got this exciting news I want to share with you. You wouldn't believe what just happened. I have, I ran into George W. Bush, and we started talking. We stood there for about 10, 15 minutes. And, um, and I asked him to over for dinner, and he said yes. <laughs> He's going to be over at 5 o'clock. But Amy, I'm telling you right now, I gotta go. I'm really busy right now. So can you have everything ready by five o'clock? And then you hang up the phone. So Amy, what are you gonna do? Okay, you're cleaning. Okay, you're cleaning. What else are you gonna do? Call your friends. You need help, so you're gonna. And what are your? What is the help that you need? Cleaning and cooking. Is there anything else? And childcare as well. Okay, so clean the house, cook the dinner, somehow take care of the children. Now, Nick, aren't you glad I didn't ask you this question? So Nick has nine kids. Okay, so it just so happened that. Uh, Senya, his wife, likely excuse, was in the nursery this morning. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ken, I'm sure, is very happy about this. But anyway, so, okay, you said you were going to clean the house, cook dinner, and then get somebody to take care of the kids. Now, I've asked this question a number of times in the past. And you know what the fourth response was? Kill the husband. That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> so anyway, um, there's, there's passages in the scripture where you just don't take literally. So anyway, thank you. Thank you very much. Now, you recognize that this person is a very important person. And he is. He's a two-term president. And he loves veterans. And he loves people. And he loves God. 
I knew somebody that actually worked in the White House. Um, he was Secret Service for eight years. And to give you a little idea about how George Bush was, is after George was elected to his first term, he asked uh, this uh, Secret Service man to come in. And after five minutes of talking to one another, um, he stood up, uh, his first name was Wesley, he stood up and said, well, I'll let you go, Mr. President. And George went back and said, no, no, I'm not done with the interview yet. And so Wesley sat back down, and um, after five minutes uh, went by again, Wesley was, he stood up and was, was trying to excuse himself, and George came back and said, uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not done with the interview yet. And he said, you're not busy, sir? And uh, uh, the president came back and said, listen, I'm your boss, first of all. He said, Wesley, if you're willing to take a bullet for me, I want to know all about you. They spent two hours in the Oval Office, just the two of them. And that should give you an idea of how this person was, when it, you know, as far as loving people. Now, you said, Amy, that you were going to clean the house and cook dinner and then have, these, uh, have the kids taken care of by getting all the help that you can get. Uh, Jeff, could you move on to the next slide? Now, let's, let's be hypothetical here for a moment. What if? Here man is on the moon. I swear I've met people in the past that were from the moon. Okay. Now, let's say, for instance, God has an order. But let's say God made man on the second day. Wasn't much there, was there? Let's say God made man on the third day, placed him on the earth. Again, there's really not much there at all, just a hunk of rock, maybe some water and some land. Or on the fourth day, where actually land didn't come into the fourth day. So now there's land and there's grass and there's fields, but there's no birds and wildlife, um, so to speak, nothing in the oceans yet. What if he made man on the fifth day? So there's no creeping things on the ground, no cattle, no tigers, no elephants, no nothing like that. So he waited and waited. And then after Adam or after God was done creating everything, then he introduced man. Jeff, go on to the next slide. I want you to see this here. God could have made Adam on that second day, or that third day, or that fourth day. Now, Amy, you said, again, that when George Bush was going to be there, the house was going to be clean, dinner was going to be ready, the kids were already going to be ready as well. You cleaned up everything. You made sure that everything was done properly. God created the entire universe. Every single day, he put everything in order. And then when everything was done, then he created man. Now, I want you to see how special you are in the eyes of God. David and Amy recognize how important George W. Bush was. But they're only cleaning a home. Our father created the entire universe. Everything that we know and understand, he made sure everything was ready. And then he invited us to dinner. The whole universe was clean. 
and dinner was waiting on the table for Adam. That's how important you are to God. And to me, that is absolutely incredible. That makes me feel special. That makes me feel important to him. Now, the world may think differently, but really that doesn't matter, does it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that life begins here, in this world, as we apply God's kingdom within our own hearts. See, when we lost that reflection, he sent his son to die for us so that we can experience what, he call, what we call a metamorphosis, to be changed into his image, into the image of the only begotten, so that we can become like Christ. That's what, that's what Christian really means, to be like Christ, to reflect him. So my spiritual grandfather, if you excuse the expression, is um, a person that I recognized. Uh, when I first met him, I, I couldn't believe who I was standing in front of. And I saw Christ in him. I saw something that I never saw in a human being before, not quite like that. And he is today one of the most godly men I've ever met. I saw Jesus in him. And I tried to make it a life goal for me that first my family, uh, which I failed sometimes with my wife, that uh, sometimes I don't act like Christ sometimes, but in her lovingness, she is always giving me that room because we all fail sometimes, but it's through our failures that we learn. So with, um, with loving God and making mistakes sometimes, and I tell my students, don't discard mistakes. Embrace them because they make you stronger. Your weaknesses makes you stronger. It's awesome. That's what marriage does for you. And I've been married to her for almost 38 years now, and she's still my best friend. She's awesome. So I hope I didn't embarrass you. <laughs> so anyway, so why don't, we, why don't we close in prayer? Father, we, we humbly come before your throne, and we thank you, first of all, for just allowing us to be your children. And number two, giving us the experience to know just how much you love us, just how much you want to be with us, just how much you want to walk with us, just how much you want to transform us so we can become your representative here on earth, so we can reflect your image, and so we can walk in innocence uh, rather than um, our own selves. So Father, thank you, we praise you. And Father, this weekend as well, pray that we all can get some rest. I pray that, Father, that this holiday weekend will be a time of refreshment and joy and fun. Thank you for our pastors 
in the leadership team at this, this congregation. Pray that uh, you would also bless uh, Camper and his family uh, during this sabbatical. Pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.